Tonight's uh, special event is featuring um, Shyla Catherine and Pastor Eric Swanson. I know some of you probably know Pastor Eric and some of you know of Shyla Catherine. Let me give you just a bit of background of each. Pastor Eric Swanson is the pastor of this church where we are currently sitting, West Hope Presbyterian. Um, it's the home of the Contemplative Center of Silicon Valley. He received his Master's of Divinity in 1998, earned an additional degree in spiritual direction, and spent a year in the ecumenical Tazé Monastery in France. Eric's teaching is dedicated to the art of spiritual formation and bringing an awareness of the holy into all parts of life. Shyla Catherine is the founder and principal teacher of Insight Meditation South Bay. And also she is um, the originator or founder of Bodhi Courses, which is an online Buddhist classroom. She authored two highly acclaimed books on concentration and insight meditation, Focused and Fearless and Wisdom Wide and Deep. And this evening, our two teachers are speaking on the Voices for Contemplative Life in Silicon Valley. So I'm going to speak for a few minutes and then pass it to pass this little ear thing to Eric, and he will share for a few minutes. Um, so we'll just pass this back and forth. Then we'll have some time for you to share, and we'll have some time for um, questions and answers. What I'd like to do is just tell you a little bit about what I think is important in coming to the spiritual life in Silicon Valley. And the first is to say that I grew up here. I grew up on the peninsula, and this is my home. I've watched Silicon Valley become more and more crowded, more and more congested, more and more fast. Places that used to have cows now have condos. Um, but nevertheless, it's still home. I've always been interested in contemplation, and I'm not sure that there was any particular reason for it. People often ask, why did I start meditating? I didn't have any particular good reason. I could give reasons, but they are all just things I could say. I started when I was 17, and I've loved it ever since. I've never even thought about stopping. I've never, I've always wanted to just go deeper and deeper and deeper into the exploration of the mind and into the possibility of liberating the heart from the causes of suffering. Buddhism has been a very good fit for me. I find great joy in the meditation practices. I appreciate the technology that's available, the, the, the system, systematic teachings that are available in the Buddhist tradition. And there's a kind of um, intelligence in the approach that I've appreciated very much from the Theravada tradition. So I spend a great deal of time reading the ancient teachings of the Buddha, the early discourses of the Buddha. I find that these teachings serve both the pragmatic needs of contemporary life and integrate very nicely into a busy, active lay life and also um, touch the profound possibilities of experiencing deep concentration and liberating insight. When I attended my first um, 10-day retreat back in the um, early 1980s, my heart really burst open. 
I was just touched by a possibility of peace that I had no idea was even possible. And ever since then, I've maintained a very strong dedication to retreat practice. For many years, I had a commitment to do a minimum of three months a year in silence. And over time, I managed to accumulate now nearly nine years in silence, with 10 months at a stretch being the longest time. I also spent several years in Asia, practicing in India, in Nepal, and in Thailand. When I was in Thailand, I was mostly staying in very remote forest monasteries, practicing quite literally in caves and in jungles. In Nepal, I took many teachings from the Tibetan teachers, and in in India, I explored, um, I stayed a long time with a guru, with a, a Advaita Vedanta Hindu guru, who um, had a very direct way of teaching, and the practice was um, very much about service. I cherished those years that I spent in Asia, primarily because it was full-time dedication to the spiritual life. But actually, I encourage people not to run off to Asia and go meditate in caves. I mean, if you're into it, go for it. But what I really encourage and what I really support is an integrated practice, a practice that brings the Dhamma and brings the teachings and brings the development of wisdom and peace and calmness and clarity right into our experience of daily life. We don't have to go off somewhere else and have some exotic esoteric experience. The Dhamma means the nature of things. It means teachings on the nature of things. That doesn't necessarily just mean a jungle. It doesn't mean a Himalayan cave. It can simply mean how do we experience our lives now? Are we creating causes for suffering or are we creating the conditions for peace and for happiness? I think what's most important is the reason that we meditate. What is our aspiration? What do we value? What do we really want in our spiritual life? Many people come to meditation in order to feel better. And that's not wrong. Many times doctors send people to meditation and it's one of the greatest um, prescriptions they can ever get. But if that remained our only aim, if that remained our primary motivation, then I think we've got let, let the bar be too low. Sensual pleasures are just not really the potential of this practice. When I was in college, my first year in college as a freshman, I met a woman named Corinne, and she became one of my dearest and closest friends. She already had been through chemo and radiation by the time she had come to college. She had Hodgkin's disease. And um, a couple of years by, I think, our sophomore year, she had a reoccurrence. It was pretty clear her life would not be very long. And she took many different treatments, including bone marrow treatments, to try to make it to age 30, which was uh, a milestone year that she really wanted to see. And during that time, we were um, quite young, of course, and we talked a lot about death. We talked a lot about what it meant to live in the face of death, what was important, what mattered in the face of death. 
And it was a formative time in my own life, and I'm very grateful for knowing Corinne at that time because it kept me thinking about what really mattered. She asked me to teach her to meditate because I had already been meditating for a few years by the time I met her. And now I was not a qualified teacher, but since there were no qualified teachers in our town, um, she was probably my very first student. And I just appreciate those many, many hours we spent together, often meditating together, often speaking about very profound questions and things, because we kept coming back to the question, how can we live today so that it's okay to die today? Now, it's material goals are fine. I have material goals. But it's always been clear to me that money, fame, power do not lead to peace and happiness. They only lead to having money, to having fame, and having power. In the face of death, so what? The immaterial, the formless, the inner qualities seem far more important to me and always have. Living with virtue with compassion, with love, with trust, with wisdom, having a mind that can rest tranquil and calm, having contentment with what is. These have always been far more important than material gains. In the Buddhist tradition, there is a teaching of the Four Noble Truths, which is to understand suffering, the cause of suffering, to realize the end of suffering, and to practice the way to the end of suffering. It sounds a little grim. It sounds a little depressing. But actually, it's a path of great joy because it allows us to see the causes of suffering and allows the heart to release so that we no longer perpetuate the causes of suffering within our lives. And what are those causes of suffering? Attachment, craving, greed, hatred, ignorance, delusion. We practice a threefold training that's based upon virtue, meditation, and wisdom. And this training in virtue, in meditation, and in wisdom brings the mind to a profound experience of peace, what we might call freedom, awakening, enlightenment. These are not cool spiritual experiences that we acquire like some kind of trophy that we're going to put on our shelf as, a, as proclaiming our meditative and spiritual accomplishments. Enlightenment is defined in the Buddhist texts as the freedom from greed, hatred, and delusion. Awakening implies living and acting with the mind freed from these defilements. So this great spiritual aim of awakening in the Buddhist tradition is utterly intertwined with, is grounded in, and is an expression of profound virtue. The purpose of meditation is not, though, to simply feel better, to reduce stress, to become more productive workers, to get an edge on the corporate ladder, to become more functional citizens, or to explore whatever is you know, current in the popularity these days, which meditation technique is everyone doing. We don't meditate in order to adjust or reduce the dosage of 
anxiety medications, although it might help. We don't meditate in order to balance our mood disorders, although it probably would help. We don't do it in order to manage our anger, although it's a great thing to do to manage our anger. We don't use it to augment our therapy program, but if you're in therapy, I recommend it anyway. And we don't do it to improve our cognitive skills or our memories, but it tends to accomplish that anyway. We don't meditate in order to become more focused on our athletics, our hobbies, our work pursuits. And yet, meditation does bring tremendous measurable material benefits and more than these. But I meditate and I teach meditation in order to realize the ultimate and inherently ethical and selfless aim of liberation. By understanding the workings of the mind, we have the potential to end the defilements, or at least weaken them, of greed and hatred and delusion that cause so much suffering in our lives and in our world. What the Buddha realized when he sat under a Bodhi tree in northern India two and a half thousand years ago is available for us to realize today. I meditate now in the heart of Silicon Valley and teach others to meditate right here and right now in order to realize this direct knowledge for ourselves. We can realize the great peace that the Buddha realized. So the Buddhist teachings serve as my guide, but they offer us only instructions. They offer us hints. They offer us inspiration. Each individual has to do the work ourselves. We each awaken through our own transformation that understands the roots of greed and uproots them, that understands how hatred settles into our minds and hearts and uproots that, understands the roots of delusion and extracts that. Even in a busy, hectic, high-pressured life, we can, and I believe we must, cultivate virtue meditation and wisdom and walk the path of the awakened ones here and now we may need supports along the way we may need friends who value the path teachers that help deepen our investigative knowledge programs that broaden our understanding of the meditative life and teachers and role models who reassure us that growth is possible but we have those supports We have them in this room, and we can be grateful for that. So I'll pick up uh, with you a little bit. After my, well, I had great mentors in the church, and my mentors weren't hammering me to learn the Bible or hammering me to learn theology they were inviting me to pray and they were challenging me to wonder and they were inviting me to search both within myself and in the world around me. Um, And so when I felt like I went to seminary kicking and screaming, actually, like, who am I to be a pastor? Holy, you know, God, you know me. I'm I'm kind of a schmuck. Um, And... Uh, yet I went, and during that time, uh, I had the opportunity to go to the Tizay Monastery in France for a year. Um, I had had beautiful experiences of prayer and deepening early 
in my life. And yet when I went to the monastery, I mean, it took it to a whole new level, as you might imagine. Um, and what I found was people weren't, the, the brothers there and people who gathered there, uh, weren't worried necessarily about um, the top 10 beliefs that I had. They were, we were talking about how our prayer was that day. And what was your culture like? And what did you do back home? We had people from around the world actually gathering. Uh, and I did, you've done more silence than I have. Um, I did a week. <laughs> and uh, yes, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, uh, but what I found was that there was more to me than I ever knew. Right? And... Uh, in the silence of that week and then in prayer, what I was invited to was a deeper understanding of who I was and somewhere at the core of who I am is this, the core of who I am meets and dances with this being that we call God. And if I can quiet myself enough, I can hear that and find that and be informed by that. And so when I came back uh, from the monastery, it was a fascinating experience because I went back to the seminary for my final year. And in the seminary, I was saying, let's pray. You know, let's, let's meditate. Let's pray. That's what it's all about. And they said, no, 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 it's about church history. No, 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 no. It's about learning your doctrine. I thought, what are we missing? What are we missing? And so in my... It was always a challenge. Oh, my gracious. And so I went to my first parish and tried to bring the contemplative life there. And I I really believe that the only reason I survived my first parish was because of the contemplative life. (laughs) We had morning prayer every morning. Uh, I tried to have midday prayer every day. And that just constitutes one gentle sung prayer and then time of silence. Right? So it was very much a seeking wisdom and kind of seeking beyond the emptiness of silence to find the fullness that lies underneath it. Do you know what I mean by that? When you get past some of the distractions and the the silence, it feels a little empty, and then (gasps) there's something more there. And the mystics through time name that God. Uh, And so part of what I was inspired with is kind of a carrier of this for the church because I I think the Christian church really, forgive me for saying this, but has lost its practice. It really has lost its, and so it gets a bad rap for a good reason. (laughs) Um, Often it's more about guilt and it's more about if you don't believe what we believe, well, you can just hit the road, right? Which is crazy to me Um, because when we, listen, when we pray, when we find our own experience, there is value there. And in some ways we are found there, no? That's what I find. Um, And uh, one of my favorite authors, Thomas Merton, once wrote um, that in particularly Western culture, we move from experience to experience to experience to experience without reflecting on any of it. So we lose the meaning in all of it which I just adore. But, I mean, come on, Silicon Valley is like, how fast can you go? How many things can you do? And so we rush through our lives thinking we're going to get somewhere, 
And, well, we do. But do we find the depth of it? Do we find that which lies underneath the surface of it? And so the, um, and I, I loved what uh, Shiloh was saying about the values. What the values of silence, the values in, in, there's a huge stream in the history of Christianity called the contemplative way, which is vastly lost and overlooked in our current culture and in the history of Christianity. But that contemplative way is to get to those values which Jesus taught and lived and showed, which are beautiful. I mean, values of compassion, values of peace, values of a depth of life and loving one another, even loving your enemies. I mean, come on. Is that an easy one? <laughs> it isn't for me. But the challenge is there. And when we can get underneath the surface of our teachings to find that great more or other to give us foundation for our lives, to give us that wisdom, provide that wisdom and meaning that is in every moment, all of a sudden we breathe easier. All of a sudden our lives are more grace-filled and wonder-filled and connected with others. And it's a, we have kind of an ongoing joke with, with some of us in our uh, church community here that we, we kind of love the contemplative life, but it drives us crazy. It's like, oh, this is so hard. Sitting in silence and listening and praying and wondering and any, anybody do this when you go into the silence? The brothers at Tazay would say, when we go into the silence, we have an uncomfortable confrontation with ourselves. There's nowhere to run to. There's nowhere to hide, baby. You know, you go into the silence and there you are. All your warts and all your glory right there. But then you can grow. Then you can move with it. You can heal. And that, what we would call that undergirding of God's grace to hold us in those moments can give us the courage to do that healing, to live into love in new and powerful and deep ways. And through um, contemplation, one of the the questions that I was uh, wrestling with for tonight is what do I value most about contemplation, (laughs) particularly in the Silicon Valley? One is it keeps me sane. It keeps me grounded into something else. I mean, I think there is something about this valley that is contagious in its speed, in its, well, for, for me sometimes it just feels like a psychological spiritual illness of speed and need of more, a need of better, and striving oh my gosh, we pummel ourselves sometimes just striving for that next thing or that next promotion or whatever it is. And for me, sitting in, we have morning prayer every morning. Um, We've continued that here. And I need that. Even if it's walking in the spiral or in the labyrinth, I need that to keep me grounded into something more than what this valley promotes and what our culture promotes. This last Sunday, I was um, in my reflection, I was talking about greatness uh, and how you know we hear on TV and all over, particularly right now, it's the Republican um, debates. You know, make America great again. 
Well, everything they're talking about is, to me, is kind of superficial and these big picture things. And it misses the, the deeper message that we need of people who are hurting and lost and wondering, what, what am I doing here? And so contemplation, prayer, listening helps me stay grounded in something deeper and more that keeps me sane. Shiloh was also uh, talking about the conditions of peace or suffering. And what I find is I am at my most whole when I am in prayer, particularly when I'm in prayer and community. I don't have to say a word, and yet there's that sense of my suffering being alleviated by the presence of each other and the presence of what I would call God, that holy other that uh, binds me together and um, unites the diverse pieces of who I am in some miraculous whole that is just sacred and wonderful. And I wish, part of it is, I wish that for all of you, for all of us, that we would be able to find um, that wholeness for ourselves. So I think I'll just leave it there. So we'd like to um, divide up into some small groups and discuss amongst yourselves the, a couple of questions. And um, I'll ask Eric to state what those questions are. We're, we're reflecting on some of the same uh, questions. So what do you value most about meditation, contemplation? How do you sustain a contemplative commitment as a core value in the high-pressured world of Silicon Valley? And how have we each sustained a committed contemplative practice in this area? So practice, commitment as a core value, and what do you value most? And the East is very being the world. So, Silicon Valley, in this culture we live in, is very becoming oriented. Tomorrow, go, 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 all this. We get a heavy dose of that. Especially if I've I've worked with electronic companies. I mean, it's always like this. It's always like this. Faster, faster, faster. So, really, uh, what Watts was talking about is learning how to balance the becoming and the being. Because if you're just a being up in the cave, you, you did the cave thing. I'm glad those kids in the 60s went and had 10,000 beetles around them in a cave for three years. I didn't want to do that, but I'm glad that they wrote a book and I said, hey, I don't have to do that. <laughs> so, so the being uh, the being way of being can be, can be antithetical to the becoming. So he's really talking about some kind of balance. And in this society, we have no balance. And the being is denigrated. I mean, basically, because we're an action artist, what you're going to be passive? You're going to you're going to do a non-action? What do you? What is that? I mean, come on, get up and go for it. So I just wanted to share what if one of his ideas that had a, had an effect on me. That's fascinating to me because what we claim is not doing anything. The mystics and the traditionalists through time would say is the greatest sense of doing something. Right? If going into deep prayer, going into deep meditation, that's incredible doing. 
but it's doing that's giving you meaning and finding out who you are and delving into the depths of faith and life and love and uh, community when you do it together, right? So somewhere we've been taught a lie, I think. So we've been taught a lie that we have to be almost physically doing and pushing ourselves in a particular way that produces something. And then a lot of the folks in our church who are getting to retirement age are going, oh my God, I'm not going to be producing anything. I'm worthless. No, be quiet. That's not true. <laughs> you know, your value comes in, in, in your being and who you are and a balance of those two things. So thank you. Well said. Any other comments or questions? I'd like to then thank you for hmm. participating with us tonight and joining us. It's, um, it's actually really a joy to, um, to be sitting here with Eric and to be sharing these together and to, to see all of you here with a, a, a joint community in a way. Mm-hmm. Yes. And hopefully honoring one another in that. That one's not right and one's not wrong, but there's wisdom and beauty in both. And how do we find that? Well, thank you very much and have a lovely week. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.